Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 45, verse 26, through chapter 46, verse 7. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. And so Israel took his journey and all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him, and also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Maranatha. Grace and peace to you. As we continue in these times, as we continue to meet apart, and as news continues to come out of cities like Minneapolis, Louisville, see violence, destruction, we see hate, we see wickedness, we see disease still running rampant, it's easy to just be so overwhelmed. And as we come into this text this morning, I don't have all the answers to all those questions, all those, all those issues. But what I do think that this, this passage tells us this morning is it shows us and it reminds us that God is still at work. That God is still at work to bring about His promises. And indeed, this is one of the, the main things that we see in uh, this large passage. Emily only read a small section. Uh, our, our passage today covers a couple of chapters, and we're not going to read them all. But what we do see is that God is working out this story, and not just the story of this family, but this bigger picture. And as we see how God is at work, I, I hope that it would strengthen us and encourage us, even in dark dark days. And so, would you pray with me as we begin? Father, we pray that your Spirit would guide us as we look into your Word, and that your Spirit would speak even through me. Lord, I'm not worthy of it, but I pray that your Spirit, for the love of your people and for the glory of your name, that you would speak to us this morning from your Word, and that we would 
you would transform us from the inside out. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now this passage, we're picking up from where we left off. Last week we saw the climax of this amazing story. And, 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 and great stories always, they, they have this big climax and then they tie everything off. You know, the, the mark of a great storyteller, a great movie, a great book is not only do they hold your attention, but that there's nothing that's left unresolved by the end. And all the characters, uh, you know, that are introduced, all the plot lines that are explored, they all are harmonized by the end. And, and this is part of what we're seeing. We're seeing, we saw this big climax, and now we're seeing all these pieces come together. And again, we're not going to go all the way through this, you know, we're not going to look line by line through this, but I want to send us flying over these two and a half chapters at like 30,000 feet. And what I think we'll see is that how God is bringing about His, His promises. He's bringing the fulfillment of promises that He made. And as we see how this happens, I think it will give us a framework for, for how we ought to live day by day. And so here's a quick flyover beginning in chapter 45, verse 16. What we see is that, that after the forgiveness of Joseph, the, they get, the brothers go back to their home in Canaan, to Jacob, with Pharaoh's blessing and with lots of provisions in order to bring Jacob back and the families back to Egypt to survive the rest of the famine. Uh, and we see then in chapter 46, 1 through 7, 1 through 27, excuse me, we see the, the, the journey to Egypt. And at the outset of the journey, as they're on the edge of Canaan, the Lord appears to Jacob and he comforts him. They packed up everything. They're moving and, Jacob, and God says, hey, this is the right move. And then in the second half of that, that section, we see this, this, uh, the genealogy or the, the, the family listing that all that went down into Egypt. And we see 70 in all. There's this record of the family that goes into Egypt. And this, all these, these numbers go, and we see in chapter 46 and verse 28 through 34, this beautiful reunion of son and father. That, that Jacob, uh, Judah is sent to go and let Joseph know that the family's coming. J Judah is, remember, he's now the leader of the brothers. Um, he's taken on that role, and Joseph, he's not just going to sit back and wait for the caravan to come. He hitches up his cha chariot and takes off. And, 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 and as Jacob and Joseph meet, there is this beautiful reunion where we see, it, it's very much like those, those videos that you see that go viral all the time, where the soldier comes home, surprises the, the family members, and it's just bear hugs, and they just don't let each other go. This is what we see in this section. And beginning in chapter 47 through verse uh, chapter one, uh, verse 1 through 12, uh, Joseph preps the brothers and said, hey, here's what you're going to tell Pharaoh. And then, uh, and in so doing, they get settled, or, or they were given this, this plot of land, or this area outside of Egypt called the land of Goshen. And there they can have all their flocks and raise their families, and it is, they're set off so that they can be autonomous and independent. And even Pharaoh says, hey, why don't you take care of my livestock too? That They're blessed and given supplies to get settled. And then, 
Jacob brings jo uh, Joseph brings Jacob, his father, to meet Pharaoh, where they, they have this wonderful interaction, and, and Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And then the latter part of 47, or the middle part, rather, from 13 to 26, we see that Joseph continues to, to navigate Egypt and the surrounding area through this fa uh, famine with great skill and with great profitability for Pharaoh and Egypt. But he does so to the praise of the people. He rescues, he saves this area through the management of uh, the government and the, and, and the crops through the famine. And then lastly, we see a little bit of a preview of what's to come. We see that the family is now settled, and that Jacob lives another 17 years, and then as he's about to die, he makes Joseph promise to bring him back to Canaan after he dies. And Joseph, he agrees. And so what we see in these two and a half chapters is a beautiful picture of restoration, of hope, of how God is making all things new, even in this family. And so, but, and it's, it's, we've actually just lifted this whole kind of narrative. We're just looking at the life of Joseph and, and his family. And it's easy to think that this is just kind of like, it, this section is closed off and it, it's contained in itself. And, and, and that's often, I think, how we read the Bible. We can often see it in just uh, like silos or, or just chunks. Uh, uh, maybe that's how you were taught in Sunday school too. I know that's how I was taught. That it's like, oh, this story over here and that story over here. But it, you didn't really see how they were connected. But, but if we do that, if we don't see, what we ought to see rather, is that this is connected to this wonderful, beautiful narrative, a larger narrative that God is doing, particularly in the book of Genesis, that this, that what God is doing is not just bringing restoration to this family, but he's bringing to completion the very promises that he has made generations earlier. And then we also see how this plays into this bigger picture of what God is doing that, that spans all of Scripture. So this is more than just a heartwarming story. God is bringing to fulfillment the promises He has made to this family and this family's forefathers. And so as Genesis closes out, we see that God has been faithful to fulfill His promises that we see that God has been faithful to fulfill His promises, even when it looked like they were going to be impossible to fulfill. And, and, and the promises that I'm talking about are the promises that God makes to Abraham, particularly. If you recall earlier, uh, it begins in chapter 12, that, that God calls Abraham out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham goes. And God calls him and makes a covenant with him. A covenant is a, a sacred, uh, uh, irrevo <laughs> irrevocable, binding agreement. And he makes one of these covenants with Abraham. And in it, God promises that, one, that from Abraham will come a great nation. Number two... That, that, he will, that his offspring will be a blessing to the world, and who, all who bless him will be blessed, and those who curse him will be cursed. 
And God is going to give him land. The land of Canaan, where, uh, where in our story, as in our passages, where Jacob and the family lived before going to Egypt. These promises are the very things being fulfilled in our passage. See, see, the story of Genesis has been following based, and, and we're trying to, we're supposed to keep these promises in mind as we read. And so, let me just tick through what, how our passage, or how this narrative helps to fulfill, or is showing that God is fulfilling His promises. The first is that Abraham was to become a great nation. Out from Abraham, a great nation would come. And at the time when God makes this covenant with Abraham, it, it, it was an all but an impossibility. It was, it, was, it was wishful thinking at best. Abraham had lost all hope for biological children. He's nearly 90. And in fact, when the covenant is made in chapter 15, Abraham is ready to make his servant a legal heir. But God says, no, no, no. I'm going to work and I'm going to give you a biological son. And about nine years later, his wife, who, was, who also was no spring chicken, gives birth to a son, Isaac. And Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob has sons, and his sons have sons. And we see in chapter 46 this, this, the fullness of how God is bringing about this promise that seemed impossible, but God is bringing it to fruition. The list of the family is it is shown to show that God is making good on His covenant promise. And I think there's something else that we're supposed to see, that, that this nation is, is particularly of God, is because that there are 70 listed. Uh, uh, genealogies like this were, were tailored for literary purposes, and 70 is a perfect number uh, in, in this culture. And, and so, and I also think that it's meant to point us back to Genesis chapter 10, where, where there's a, where they call the table of nations. There's 70 nations listed. And I think what we're supposed to see is that God is making a new and better nation. One from this man, Abraham. It's going to be a new nation, a great nation. And out of this one nation is the, will come one who will be a blessing to all the world, which is the second pillar of the covenant. God blessed Abraham, and those that blessed him were blessed, and those who cursed him were cursed. And he says, through you, there's going to come one who would be a blessing to the world. And what we see in this narrative is exactly that, isn't it? We, we saw in the way in which the Lord showed his, caused Joseph to flourish, even in prison, even in, when he was for, all but forgotten by everyone else. We see that the Lord was with them and blessed them. And through Joseph, the Lord blesses the world around them. Without Joseph at the helm, the famine would have been horrific. But God fulfills his promise to bring blessing in the world through Abraham's offspring. And, and the family is blessed too. That, that, that God provides for them even in the midst of global famine. In this remarkable way. And as they come to, to Egypt, Pharaoh gives them land, gives them his livestock, gives them supplies to get settled. And, and indeed, Pharaoh is blessing those who, who blessed him too. 
that as Pharaoh is extending this super special care for the one who rescued him and his people. Pharaoh, Pharaoh blesses the family, and in return, the Lord blesses and provides for Egypt during this time. And so you see how God is fulfilling this, these, these covenant promises. And so you see this great nation, this blessing for the world that comes through Abraham's offspring. And we also see that, that the land promise is, is in a sense being fulfilled. And, and I, let me explain what I mean by that. The story of Abraham is the story of a nomadic shepherd. He, he, never, has a, he never has a place to, to call home. He's always on the move as we, as we read about him. But God promised that his offspring would enjoy the land of Canaan. He never experiences it himself, and, but, but in faith, he buys a burial plot for himself. He purchases it, he won't let it be given to him, he, he pays for it, and he pays for it in faith, believing in the promises of God, and that, that, that God will give the land to his offspring. And so, we can understand why, why Joseph, Jacob may be a little apprehensive about leaving. He, they're now in the land. They're, they're now settled in the land. But we also saw that, that that wasn't always so good for them. We remember how Judah went down. And, 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 and so God is going to take them out of Canaan and deal with the, the, the nations that are there and then bring them back. And this is exactly what he promised Abraham to do. In Genesis chapter 15, he says this, Know for certain, this is verse 13, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. That's going to be Egypt. And will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the, on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with, a great, with great possessions. As for you... You shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So there's this judgment that has to happen to these other people. And then God is going to work in the lives of, of Abraham's offspring, but he is going to bring them back in. And Jacob, in our passage, is, is given this same promise as they're leaving. Look at chapter 46 in verse 2. As they come to Beersheba, which is on the, 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 the outer edge of Canaan, the Lord comes and he comforts Jacob and encourages them to go down. He says, And God spoke to Israel, that's it's Jacob's other name, the name that God gave him, in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, I am God, the God of your father. He's saying, the covenant that was made to Abraham, I'm making it again here. Just remember this. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. God is saying to Jacob here, hey, this is from me. Go. I'm going before you. This is part of my plan. I, I know the promise I made to you and your fathers. And though you're leaving this land... In my time, I'm bringing everyone back. And what we're going to see, that's why Jacob makes Joseph promise to bring him back. And Joseph, as the dutiful son, does exactly that. 
And then we see in the, in the story of Exodus how God will bring out a mighty nation, far more than 70. But this huge nation that God has, has brought about in these 70 that go down, and they will ultimately settle them into the land. So what we're meant to see is that how God is fulfilling His promises, and, and it's, we're supposed to be following this storyline. And see, the, the story of Genesis and then Exodus and, and, and the books going on, they, they, they are all connected into this bigger storyline, this larger story, the story of God's redemption. The, see, the Bible is not just a random assortment, assortment of books, but the story of God's work in the world to bring about redemption. And, and while we see that these promises were, were, were being fulfilled in this book, meaning Genesis, and in this account, they also point to a greater fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in an ultimate fulfillment. And, and this is why the Bible says that all of God's promises find their yes and amen in Him. The story threads, the storylines of the Bible all run and meet and converge and are fulfilled in Jesus. And we see this in his coming, in his dying, in his raising, in his ascension, and, and that all these covenant blesses, blessings have been fulfilled in him. It, just let's take the, these, these three here, that the nation, that Jesus came to be the forerunner and to make a new people. He, he makes a unique people, a new nation. He is the, the new and better Adam that starts a new race of people. And out of him is this new nation that numbers myriads and myriads who's, who, who are uh, brought together not by a flag, not by their tongue, not by their tribe, not by their skin color, but they are made into one family through his precious blood which he shed to make his people his own. And we see that there is not only a nation but blessing. We see that through Abraham's seed, all the world would be blessed. Jesus comes through this very line. And death reigned in the world. The ultimate curse. Sin reigned in the world. And death is the, is the, the curse that comes from sin. And we're all under that curse. But through Jesus, he is the curse breaker. He crushes it at the cross. He steps on the serpent's head. He, he defeats Satan, death, and sin forever. He brings the great blessings of God through his finished work so that all who turn and trust him would know God's blessing. And to reject him is to have the curse remain on you. To call on him, to trust in him, is to know the blessings of God. And, and this then is, there's a social impact too. Jesus came to be a blessing, not just to counsel sin, but think about the ways that he healed and he, and he treated others, the way that he modeled what it means to be uh, God's people. Yes, he accomplished our salvation, but he also shows us that, and, and, and commissions us as ambassadors to be blessing, a blessing to the world. We are to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God, where justice, righteousness, 
Mercy and love abound. Isn't that so necessary? That call for us even in these days? We get to not only herald the good news of God's grace, but we get to live in light of those who have experienced His grace. We get to be His hands and His feet in this dark world. We get to be a blessing and point others to Him. And then, so we have nation, we have blessing, we also have the land. Jesus came to usher into this world the kingdom of God. And while we await the kingdom ultimately being fulfilled, when heaven will come down and make its permanent stay, we, we, we wait like Abraham and Jacob, waiting for that day where, where we will experience the true promised land. The land where... Where Revelation, I just lost my page. Where Revelation says that would come down. It comes down from heaven, this new Jerusalem, this new city coming down out of heaven. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. This is the land that Jesus has, has, has ushered in and will consummate with, at the, uh, in his time and in his return. And friends, we are invited in to the joy of these fulfilled promises by faith. He says, hey, I didn't just accomplish them for me. I actually welcome you in. So, and, and here is another promise that God makes that he fulfills. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He invites us into this salvation. He invites us into this joy. He invites us into this fullness. And so I want to ask you, have you seen in Jesus the fulfilled promises of God? He, he is the one who, who satisfied all the righteousness required by God, a holy God. And instead of receiving all the blessings, he goes to the cross to take the curse. So that anyone who would turn away from sin and trust in him would be saved. The way that we come into his fullness is not by earning it, not by works, not because we're good enough, not because of the name that's attached to us, not by our successes, or if our good outweighs our bad. It is only by grace. And he says, I've accomplished all the promises of God. Find their yes and amen in him. And he says, I invite you into that by, by faith, by trusting in me. Michael Lawrence says this, From the opening pages of Scripture to the close, the story of God's redemption, redemptive activity is structured by promises made and promises kept. Our God is a promise-keeping God. And at, when we know that, and it, it reshapes the way that we live. And I think as we consider this passage, it reshapes the way that we think about our world and our daily lives. 
And so I want to just highlight a, three quick ways uh, how this does this. This passage, as we think about what God has done, as He's fulfilled these promises, how that reshapes us. And the first is this. God's promises often take time. Look, I'm impatient. And if you're anything like me, you're impatient too. We want things when we want them. Culturally, everything is about time efficiency. Instant rewards, instant gratification, instant results. But friends, God doesn't work that way. He doesn't work on our timetable. He, he works according to His own time. The account that we have uh, been going through has spanned 20 plus years. And as we zoom out we see the, and see the broader context as we just did, it takes decades. And in the grand scheme of things, God's plan has been unfolding for centuries. And if you're like me, impatient, this can cause you to become frustrated. You can think that God is not holding up his end of the deal. And this is what people wrote in Peter's day, saying mockingly about waiting on the Lord. He says, quote, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But to this, Peter reminds us that God is eternal and that while time constrains us, it does not constrain God. He says, do not overlook this one fact. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's timing is actually a demonstration of His grace and kindness toward us. You might be frustrated with the way things, got, with the way ways God is having you wait. Maybe it's in and having ultimate victory over a particular sin. It's it's waiting for wrongs to be right. It's waiting for justice to roll down like a mighty stream. This passage shows us that He is not absent. It, it just shows us that His timing is not ours. But as we wait, we wait with a daily faith, as Abraham and as Joseph did. Daily leaning on and remembering, and walking in light of the promises that God has made, knowing that He is at work and is bringing them to fulfillment, and will in His time bring them to perfect completion. God's promises are as good as gold. Because if He does not keep a promise, then it would be a violation of His very character. A.W. Pink says it perfectly. The permanence of God's character guarantees the fulfillment of His promises. This faith isn't blind trust, fingers crossed, but it's grounded in the proven record of God's promise keeping. It's grounded in His character, and it's grounded in the work that He's already done. We don't need to look any further than to, to look at the cross of Christ to see the degree to which He will go to make good on His promises. So as we walk by faith, you will notice, and ex I, I hope that you would notice and experience, just like this family did, the, the ways that He's at work daily. Sometimes it's, it's, we have to look back and go, Oh man, God, you were really at work in that. I didn't see it then though. I hope that you would, you would see that God and trust that God is at work even when you don't see how the threads all weave together. And as you wait, 
And as you walk diligently in faith, that you would, you would wait with patience. Ray Ortland uh, summed it up really well the other day. He said this, quote, We wait with patience. That's what Romans 8.25 says. The journey of this love, life summed up in four words. If we overestimate how much control we have, we will resent this verse. But when we see that God himself is in it for the long haul, we regain our poise and dig in. He says, we will prevail. Not because of us, but because of God. So we, we see that God's promises often take time. Number two, God's promises, God's purpose in His promises are multifaceted. God's purposes in His promises are multifaceted. That's a lot of syllables. God could have given this family the land, the blessing, and caused them to multiply without all the drama. Maybe this is how you think about things too. God, this is what you promised, so let's get to it and snap, snap, make it happen. As you wait, you grow frustrated, discouraged, bitter, or distracted. You may begin to think, God, I, I don't think you're trustworthy. Because you have promised this to me, and I don't see it happening. But when we consider this passage, we see that God was at work in the hearts and the lives of the people, not just in their circumstances. As God brings about his purposes... He also brings, uh, as he brings about his purposes in the world, he also brings about his purposes in the people's lives. God fulfills his promise, and, and in the process of them coming to pass, he's working to transform this family from a fractured, deceitful, selfish, wicked lot to a joyful, thankful, and sacrificial one. Look, nothing is lost in God's economy. He uses joy, others, circumstances, good and bad, even the sinful choices and their consequences, to rescue, redeem, and renew His people. Think back through the events of this story. Deception, kidnapping, prostitution, prison, relationships, dreams, being forgotten and abandoned, being remembered and restored, blessing, provisions, and the list goes on. Consider, through all of this, how God worked to transform not just the circumstances, but the people themselves. Like you may be in a season that is confusing and hard. You can't see how God's promises will hold true, or you can't imagine how He can work any good for you in your current situation. This story shows us otherwise. We see the skill and the provision uh, and, and precision of God's care for his people. This story gives shape and substance to Romans 8.28. Many can quote it, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But as we lean into this truth, I think that we would see that God's promises are multifaceted, and, and we will actually, when we see that they're multifaceted, we'll actually find comfort and joy. When we see that God isn't just, you know, fixing the circumstances, but he's at work in us too, to make us new, to use us to bring about change in others as well. When we're reminded that God is at work and his promises are firm, even when we don't like it, 
or wouldn't have planned it, we, would be, we will be able to say Romans 8.28 with much more joy, much more hope, because we, we, we really know that God is at work. It means that we can have hope in a year like this one, in a season like this one, because we have the same God as we see in this passage. We can hold firmly to his promise that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Christ Jesus. God's purposes are, are, are layered and they're beautiful and he's at work. And lastly, God's promises, God promises us his presence. During Joseph's time and the time of this account, and in parts of the world still, it was understood that God's have had certain jurisdiction. That, that as you left a land, you were passing into the land of another God. But, but this is not true of the God of the Bible, for he is the king and God over all. And as Jacob leaves Egypt, he stops in Beersheba, again, that southernmost point of Canaan. And God says, look, I'm going with you to Egypt, and I will still be at work in you and for you. And he says, I'm going to bring about my covenant promises. God is not constrained by geography. His presence and his power are not overruled by anything in this world. Jacob was 130 years old when he makes this trip. Probably pretty nervous, scared about the journey, anxious about whether or not, what, what, what the future looks like. Didn't want to die outside of his land. He, he couldn't know what was going to happen, but God's presence comforted him and it strengthened him. And I realize that many of us feel like Jacob. We're on this 2020 ride of doom, not knowing what is coming up around the bend. Disease, violence, division, hate, you name it. Here we are concerned about our work. We're concerned about <clears throat> our work and our future, what it will look like, how things will ever work out. Friends, if you're in Christ... He promises you the same type of presence, but even better. God's spirit does not just go before us, but dwells within us. And as he dwells in us, he's comforting us, he's shaping us, he's encouraging us, he's leading us. Jesus has given us this promise that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us for anyone who is in him. So what this means is that it's not just put on a happy face and act like nothing's going on, but instead, what God's presence does is it's, it's a reminder to fix our eyes on Jesus, grounded in his promises, as we daily walk by faith in light of his grace toward the kingdom that cannot be shaken, knowing that he who promised is faithful to fulfill all that he's covenanted to, to fulfill. I, I hope that you, we would walk in light of our promise-keeping God this week. Lord bless you, Maranatha.